What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Pat. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) If I was to mention to you something like Audi, Porsche, BMW, what would come to mind? German quality engineering. Exactly. Mm. So if I was to say to you German shepherds and duchies from Germany, what would then come to mind? House Amberg. Why is that? Because probably some of the best German shepherds and duchies on the planet come from House Amberg German shepherds and duchies because you know who breeds those bad boys? Patrick and Alicia Lockett. They're a power couple in the dog breeding, brokering, selling and shipping them all over the world. And they po po world as well. Yeah. Yeah. Both they po po guys. Yeah. Yeah. They know their shit and they, they breed good dogs and they can ship them to you anywhere in the world. And now a proud sponsor of the canine paradigm. Yep. Mm. So if you're after one of those bad boys, get in touch with them. Yep. House Amberg. House Amberg. House Amberg. Wait, before we fade off into oblivion, we've got to mention their website. Yes. You can get in contact with them at www.houseambergshepherds, <laughs> <laughs> and that's H-A-U-S-A-M-B-E-R-G-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D-S. So it's house like a German house.com. Wow. Or you can find them on Facebook. Hey, Glenn. Yes. Guess what? What? New year, new ad. Oh, I like it. I thought you were going to say new year, new you. Nah, I'm still the same shitty version of me. <laughs> you know who's not a shitty version of themselves anymore? Go ahead and tell me. The boof head. The fading boof head? Einz a wiener. Oh, my God. Einswick dog quip. Yes. Jason's only half the man he was uh, a year ago. I know. He's on an amazing journey. But Incredible. he still sells- Amazing equipment. The best equipment you can get in Australia. Yes, he does. If you want dog training equipment- He's the only man to go to. Yep. It turns out it's not just equipment either. He did those cages for my car. I know. And they're fucking rad. They are really good. Yeah. He's like, got a new range of stuff. There's a new line of gear. I think it's called Klim or something like that. Klein. Klein, is it? Yeah, I think Klein. Klein. That's okay. how I read it. Yeah, Klim Klein. Yeah, they make mad stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. Yeah. So I've got to do a little review for him on that, but go and check out his website because he has got one. Yes. Yeah. Ein's a wiener dog quip. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but say that. Einzweck. E I N Z W E C K. Yep. Is it? Is that correct? Yeah. Einzweck? Yeah. Einzweck dog quip. Check it out. If you're in Australia, that's the only place you should be getting your dog gear from. Yep. None of those other places. That's right. Just go straight to the buffet. Yeah. Just say, hey, buffet, give us a deal. Now, I know you North Americans mm. are probably just like, God damn. What I about wish us? I could buy some of that what stuff. What about me? Yeah. So I think if you want treadmills, you can actually still get them through Jason because mm-hmm. he sort of just is the middle guy anyway. And he knows he that. knows who's making the good meals yeah, he and knows who's meals. not. Yep. Mm. But if you want other dog training equipment. Mach le point. Mach le point. Yes. Yeah. It's French for Mark. All around good guy, Canadian. Amazing guy. Mac very, very good man. Yeah. Yep. And he's got everything. He's like Canine Dynamics has bite training equipment, leashes, tugs, all the normal stuff you'd expect to see. They on are the, dynamic. Yeah. Mm. His website is much better than Jason. <laughs> 
How dare you say? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fact too. <laughs> I actually was a client of Canon Dynamics before mm-hmm. we knew MacLapoint. Yes. And the, the purchase process was seamless. Yeah. The website's amazing. It's very good. It's very detailed and it's laid out well. And he yeah. covers all of North America, yeah. which Canada is included in that as well. Well, yeah. he's in Canada. Yeah. Ma- Canada Dynamics is Canadian. Yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah. He's, so, yeah. he's in Ottawa, isn't he? Uh, something like that. Yeah. No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's in North we America. Love if him. you want dog training And he supports our show. Thank Get you. Get it from there. Thank you, Machla Point. We have one other sponsor. Yes. Melanie Benware. Yep. Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Yep. From the train town itself, Ashland, Virginia. Yep. So if you need in-home behavior modification. Yep. She'll come around and look at We did a whole episode on we did. the way she does it. She yeah. very kindly gave away her whole business model to she everybody. Yeah. At so the end of 2020. The homeschool program. If you know someone that needs the homeschool program, yep. get them on to Melody Benware, Kindred yes. Canine. Yep. Or, you know what? what? People should probably, if they want to learn more about homeschool program beyond what she gave away for free on the show. Great idea. They should get in contact with her and yep. she should charge them to teach them about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mel, we just opened up a whole new revenue stream for you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And what a ride we had from the last episode. It's been a journey. It has been a journey and it's been very well received from the people that have offered feedback. Yeah. It's funny because we recorded that two weeks ago. Mm. We missed a week because you were away. Yep. And that episode was actually recorded prior to the brouhaha on Facebook with Nando's post. Yes. And so it was in- it was interesting timing. Like that was actually, it seems like a reaction to that, mm-hmm. but we actually recorded it beforehand. And I, I wonder guess- if it was intermittent schedule of reinforcement. Well. <laughs> because people missed a week and they were like, oh. That's why there was such a big download it's, spike. It's, it's not there, but it's okay because it's coming. Yeah. So I'll get it eventually. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So it was interesting. And I think that, like it said, it sort of seems like that episode was a reaction to that post by Nando, which caused a big stir. But in fact, it was recorded beforehand, which sort of speaks to the psyche of, you know, obviously we and he were thinking along the same lines because that he made that Facebook post maybe 12 hours after we would have finished recording. Mm. So we we're like, that was obviously in the air. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, go and find it on Facebook. Look up Incredimal, Nando Brown. But Nando, who's a very competent and well-known trainer. Mm. I shouldn't say competent. That implies like barely can't, like very good trainer. Yeah. Made a post sort of saying like, hey, we need some more inclusion and named us specifically. That was interesting, wasn't it? It was because with his 50,000 Facebook followers that I know that his intent was to draw some he was trying to create some awareness. Yeah. And, and, you know, like involve the community in some of his deep thoughts. Yeah. And that did happen. Mm. I'm sure that there was a net positive outcome, but some crazy people got pointed at us, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been getting death threats. And it, it's very interesting to me. They're just not sane people. They're not healthy people that are doing that kind of thing. Mm. It's fair to think however you think about dog training. That's fine. But when people are PMing me and it's it's really funny because- like, obviously, they don't know who I am. I didn't get death threats. I got some angry feedback, a lot more positive feedback, mind you. But I did get some random crazos that were popping up 
and I just go delete. I didn't even read half of them. I just yeah. I, like as soon as I could say, you know, like there was one going, "Oh, dear Mister Asshole," or something like that. Yeah. And I just went delete. I didn't even read it because I just think I'm not going to even invest in that kind of rhetoric and feedback. Yeah. I just thought, why would I sink to the level of that type of person? Yeah, they don't know me. And that's, I think we've made that pretty clear in podcasts, you know, and arguing with the avatar, like the title that you came up with in the episode that we did really highlights that they have an image of me now based on Nando's discussion and then his inclusion of us in that episode. Like somebody has gone, oh, so you're just a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had some guy, oh, I don't know whether it was a guy or girl, it was like a dog's Facebook, it was someone's, you know, fake account or whatever. Mm. Yeah, that's it. There's no picture of them. And that's a giveaway straight away. It's just some weakling hiding behind a fake account. Yeah. And so they're threatening to come around my house and treat me the way I treat dogs. I was like, come over. Yeah. Like, because right now I'm sitting on the couch rubbing my dog's tummy. Like, if you want to come around and give me one of those, you're very welcome. Come over. That's a pretty formidable offer for a former commando. Well, this is the thing. This is what makes me think like, oh, nobody's done any background research here. Like I'm not going to get offended by people who are saying you train dogs poorly without having looked into how I train dogs. Because if you did that, you probably might find out that if you come around my house, it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Mm. Right? Like you better, better, better come packing. You, <laughs> you better have some skills. Yeah. And that's not to sort of talk about like, I'm some tough guy, but like I have some skills. Well, I think not to get into the whole tough guy thing, but I think if anyone comes to your house with intent, that's a pretty serious thing and you you better be prepared for some pretty heavy fallout. I mean, it's an outrageous topic because no one's doing it. They're just people. Like the profile of the person probably wasn't even in Australia. I think I've mentioned this before. It fits into this conversation perfectly. So years ago, I was playing an online game and this, you know, like it got into a pretty heavy stoush online between me and this other person and neither of us knew each other. But this kid then rode his bike around to my house. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He wrote and he's pushy and yeah, came, around. He came around and he knocked on my door and he asked for the person that, who was my avatar online. Yeah. And I knew who he was. And I said, yeah, it's me, dude. And he took one look at me and jumped on his bike and fucking pedaled his ass out of there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's happened to other people as well. Like that's legit happened to other people where an angry kid has turned up at their door and, you know, like some of them have actually got into fights with them or, yeah. you know, like they've just thought this is not a 15-year-old kid, it's a grown man. Yeah. So I'm not a gamer. I can't game. I'm terrible at it. And yeah. um, I'll have to ask Misha if that's ever happened to her before. She's ever had a massive rager come after her. Well, so years ago when I had my whole nose and throat and everything reconstructed and I was stuck on the couch for three weeks and it was when I was a digger, like had no kids, no nothing. So like- Sweet, three weeks of nothing to do, right? Mm. It was at a time in my life where that was a thing. Like you could actually have nothing to do. Like I can't imagine that now. But anyway, so I'm playing, what was I playing? Like Call of Duty or something. Yeah. Trying to figure out, trying to get good at it. So I play online and I was just getting smoked by everyone. Like- I, I bet was, that was doing your fucking. It was. In. It was, and I was getting. <laughs> ab- I was getting abused by these kids. Like, yeah. oh, you noob. Oh man, they were so mean to me, and yep. so I even went out with my face all bandaged up and bought a microphone like headset thing just so I could tell them to fuck off back. <laughs> <laughs> and as they're abusing me, telling me I don't know shit, I was like, you know, I do really know how to do this for realsies. Like, this isn't an actual representation of how battles oh, no, go. Sorry, no. If you're if you're not an online hero, you're nobody. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
So anyway, yeah, people threatening to come around my house and come around. I'll make a, a lovely cup of tea and we'll discuss. We'll, we'll, you meet me for real and yep. we'll discuss uh, the reality of the situation. Well, like gaffer tape you and pour that cup of tea over you. No, but I mean, <laughs> it's just not for real. I mean, anybody know, who's know, making threats like I'm, that. I'm being silly. It's outrageous. And, and I think that I think some people maybe who don't have a family or, you know, something like that. I don't know, but they don't really understand what a level of threat that is when someone's like, I'll come around your house and fucking show you. And it's like, I'm telling you, if you do that, you're entering into a whole nother Mm. field. Like we're not, we're not playing funsies on the internet anymore. Like, and of course they don't intend to do that, but I don't think they fully understand how serious a threat that is to make Mm. of of someone. I, I feel like a lot of people sort of just think that that's something you can say and maybe cause a bit of fear in someone. And for a lot of people, maybe that is something that you can just cause a bit of fear on. But for other people, it's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like we're into a whole nother category here. And because mm. you said it out loud, if you ever come around, like I have to assume that you're serious and now we're into a whole nother realm. It's happened to me for real once in a pretty dark situation. Somebody came around to my house and the entailing conversation is not for this podcast, but I reminded them that they were on the threshold of my doorstep and I was pretty fucking angry about it at the time. So they got the message loud and clear and left with the tail between their legs. But mm. it's basically like backing someone into a corner when they when oh, yeah. come to your home. See, this is the thing. Like there were a few people in that post that were just making outrageous claims about me as well. And they're people I've never met mm. saying that they have to deal with the fallout of the dogs I abuse and they're having to fix the dogs that I've ruined. And I'm like... <laughs> I doubt it. I highly doubt that you and your doggy daycare facility where you run puppy class are getting the military working dogs that I've ruined. Like, I highly doubt that that's I happening. Know. They can actually provide evidence. We've been having this discussion a while and we mentioned Clubhouse when we brought up the whole PhD conversation and so forth. Like, just give us the evidence. Yeah. There was somebody in our Facebook group who was saying, I'm a PhD and I'd love to see that evidence too. Mm. And pretty much describe that just because you've got that academic qualification, it doesn't mean that you're the be all and end all and it ends with you. Mm. You know, for most people, that's the start of another adventure, another discovery point. You know, you're on the precipice, like you've done amazing work. Don't let me take that away from you. You've got a doctorate in something. And you should be very proud of your academic research and your ability to get where you got. But you're still at the threshold of, being, you know, like of going further. Now it's the time to get into the field. And I know field work entails in PhDs, you know, like people do go out and do some pragmatic exercises with their academia as well. However, it's still the start for a lot of people. And I really admire and encourage people when they are aware of that and they they come to the process of knowing I'm I'm not the center of the universe just because I've got this doesn't mean that I have all the answers like they still reach out to peer groups they still work with people they're still enthusiastic to add to their database of knowledge people like that should be really proud of themselves because they understand that there is so much more work to be done and it includes the access to a lot of people. And a lot of those people don't have PhDs. Mm. You know, a lot of those people are people in the field who aren't their peers, who they can still learn things from. For me, that's one of the greatest things in life is realizing that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what academia you have. I can still learn something from you. You can still provide me with evidence or you can still provide me with access to research 
And that's happened all throughout my life. You know, people, the unassuming person that I would have thought had nothing to offer has had a lot to offer. Mm. So don't discount anybody. You can learn something from everybody is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Before we carry on the episode, like something I just did want to point out was we're laughing about people threatening to come around the house, but overwhelmingly there's a huge support from everybody. You know, it was just a few unstable individuals. And with all the people that I was able to engage with, like actually have a conversation, you know, I said to people like, you know, you're very welcome to come and watch me train dogs. Like that's, Mm. you're very welcome to do that. And we'll go out and I'll pay for the coffee. I think you make enough videos and enough content for people to be aware of that. Yeah. And, but like we, you can come around. We'll, I'll pay for the coffee. We can go out and we'll chat this shit out. And, mm. and one thing that I think is really interesting sort of on the topic of tools and stuff like that is like, I really truly am invested in not just the efficacy of my training, but a, well, a part of that efficacy, but also a huge part of the way, you know, that I want to feel good about my training is that it's important that to me that it's fair with the dog. And I think that what the way I do things is, mm. but I'm totally open to discuss that. Like I'm not prepared to discuss the efficacy of, using tools because we have the evidence, right? So what you're saying is that you're not stuck in your own echo chamber. I try really hard not to be. And I Mm. think it's possible to do that because, you know, the people I train with train similarly to me. And, you know, we have the the club out there and most of the people in the club, the foundation in their dog training skills is from me and you. And so it would be very easy to get stuck in an echo chamber. Of course, they're going to tell me what I'm doing is right because I trained them to think that, Mm. right? So I regularly put myself outside my comfort zone and I try really hard and I'm open to any and all feedback from everybody. And one of the things that, you know, I've always talked about in dog training is uh, the attitude of the dog is important. Mm. And one of the things that gets kind of thrown around is that, you know, dogs might be faking that, that might be a learned behavior. And, and I'll admit that that's possible, but we have no way to tell. Like using the the equipment, the instruments, the technology that I have at the moment I can only go by the dog's body language. If it's a desirable outcome, then you're achieving what you set out to achieve and it wasn't done by fluke. Yeah. So one of the things that sort of gets thrown around a little bit is that maybe the dog is showing you what you think is flashy, powerful behavior Mm. because he's afraid to display anything else. And I don't think that's the case, but I'm 100% willing to discuss that with people. And and I am totally want to hear why, like if someone wants to have a, a real conversation with me, I'm really interested in hearing why they think that might be the case. Observe my dogs specifically or dogs that I've trained Mm. and tell me why you think that might be the case. Observe them in and out of drive. Observe the way that they try and initiate the games and the driving, like the drive expression. Observe the way that they happily get their equipment put on. Like I'm, I'm, I'm totally down with showing all of that and taking feedback because if someone can convince me that, I have trapped my dog into a cycle where he's afraid to not act like that. Mm. I will change. I will absolutely change. You must. But I I doubt you'll present me with anything that I haven't thought of already because Mm. I think about this shit a lot. Like I really think about it a lot and it's important to me. And, you know, like my dogs, as much as, you know, Remy is a a PSA dog, he's my pet before he's anything else. He's Mm. my companion before he's anything else. And Valerie is like my little, my shadow, right? She goes everywhere with me. Mm. And you can look on, you know, it's why I've started posting a little bit more personal stuff and not just high drive work stuff on my Instagram because I want to see how, I want to show people this is how I live with my dogs and the training techniques that I advocate and the things that I encourage others to do, this is the truth of the situation. So like, you know, last night I post a photo of when I, I finish work and I come down to bed and Remy's like upside down. Yeah. He's upside down on yeah. the bed next to mine. I, I put That's, that on our Instagram feed on the stories. Yeah. I, I thought it was hilarious. And and there's Valerie like actually on my bed and she 
makes me move her. Like mm. she's like, because that's a little cuddle that I get before the end. So like, that's just how, like, I, I, I want to show that. And so being fair, ethical to my dog, it, that's super important to me. And I don't think you need to sell that point, mate. I mean, but, really do you- But I want to show it, right? Like yeah. you, we can talk all we want. I want to show it, right? Mm. But so- if so, I'm totally prepared to have that conversation with people. And if you can provide me evidence or, or even just convince me, talk me into it, then I'll stop. But right now with everything that I have available to me and my own deep, deep thoughts on that, I can't, I, I'm not convinced. I haven't been able to convince myself. And, and like I say, I'm not, I'm not saying I couldn't be, I'm, pre- I'm totally prepared to listen to people. But what I am saying is I would be surprised if you can bring up a point that I haven't already deeply considered. I don't think you can get this far involved in a career of dogs. And I know that you've had a, a lesser time in it, but you're still immersive in it. I just don't think you can be this involved without having a deep love for not only your own dogs, but dogs in general. Yeah. If anybody out there knew the shit that I put up with on, on a nightly basis, and you would say, why? Yes, it's my business and I get paid to do this, but I also love it. Like I could say, fuck this, I'm out of here, I'm going to move off site. I don't want to get up in the middle of the night and do that. But I realize not only is that my job, but it's my responsibility. The people that I place in our other centers who are the custodians at night, they have to be that same type of person. They have to be willing to get up and they have to be willing to, you know, like understand that there are things that need to be done, which goes above and beyond the call of duty that they're doing for work. So we're just not people who do things reflexively without thinking about what the consequences are. If we do make mistakes, it lingers with us. And I know it does with me. Like if I do something wrong to a dog or something like that, it's not something that I can just come inside and wash off my face. It's something that that sits with me and I think, fuck, you know, like I could have done that so much better. But I'm like that with people as well. There's very few things that I don't go away and like reflect on, you know, like I'll come inside and think I could have done that better or that conversation could have gone so much better or, you know, like how can I get back in there to attack that again to make that so both parties come away winning out of it rather than me feel like I won, but the other person feels like they totally got eradicated in it. It's not, it's not the way we want to be. Yeah. And so I think that's really important for us and everybody is that you really investigate how does the dog feel about this yeah. and using everything that I have available to me or the knowledge that I have, my ability to read a dog, everything mm. that is currently available, I'm going to do what I think is in the best interest of the dog. Mm. I personally don't know anyone that doesn't do that to the best of their ability. And that's on you know every spectrum of dog training. And I think that there's levels of capability of that. There's people who maybe you know don't do as good by the dogs as possible because they're doing the best they are able to do. Mm. There's levels of nuance to that. And it depends on the scale in which you're doing it. You know, like I had those two puppies the other week and they're really interesting. It's the first time I've had litter mates for such a long time. Like the last time I had two dogs that were litter mates like that same time was Remy's brother mayhem before he went to the States. And um, so it's been a long time, but it's really fun to see different dogs. Mm. And one of the things, like one of them took to the, the kennel and the crate really easily, like no problem. And the other one struggled a little bit. And you know, like I realized when he was with me, like he, he's a very affiliative dog. Mm. He needs a little cuddle before he goes to bed. Like, and I had to give him that before I put him away in the kennel. Like I had to, and he's not going to be mine. He's back and forth between mine and Jazz's house. Like, but what he needed from somebody was to be held upside down and have his belly tickled for 10 minutes. Mm. And then he, when I put him back down, he happily goes in the kennel and goes to sleep. 
Whereas yep. his brother just like runs in there and is like, see, I'll see you in the morning. Yeah, right? it's like some kids need a bedtime story or to be tucked in where it, other kids just put themselves to bed and go to sleep. Exactly. Mm. And so within the capacity with which I have, I can give that to him because yep. I've only got, I only have four dogs at the home, mm. right? So like it's within my scope and capacity to do that. Now, you, when you've got 250 dogs down here, you can't go down and give them all a, a you can't identify who needs a cuddle before they go to sleep and give them all 20 minutes, right? No. So there's a capacity, there's a bandwidth within what is reasonable and capable. Absolutely. But I think that everybody I know is performing within that capacity. They're providing what they are capable of within mm. their knowledge set and their time set and all that kind of stuff, as well as what they can identify, right? So I think I just don't see the big problems that people are sort of trying to make out to that exist. I, some I just people just it. need drama and some people just want to see the world burn. You know, yeah. I mean, that's a quote from the Batman movie. That made sense to me when that quote was issued in the movie because I, I do think that some people, they're just fed up with themselves. Maybe it's just from a place of mental health that they need some help and they need somebody to understand them better. They lash out at other people like they see something. And I think you mentioned this in a couple of episodes ago. I don't even know if it was the Avatar episode, but you mentioned that sometimes when you see things in other people, it's a reflection of the ugliness in yourself. Mm. Or well, you the capacity for that. Right. And you reflect on that. And I think that's, you know, that can highlight the anger sometimes. And not being like, I'm not a clinical psychologist or anything. Maybe it's time we have Birdie back on the yeah, show. Yeah, I was going to say, we do know one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's probably time we have Birdie back to talk about some of these issues because it's interesting where this resonates from because it's never not been around. And I've echoed this so many times, but the internet is the sandwich board and the bell now. The people who used to be on the street corner wearing the sandwich board and ringing the bell or coming up to try and give people a sermon about how the world is ending and how people are in a state of decay now have access to your ear holes or your eyes right through the internet. Like they can plague you all the time. Yeah. And they feel so justified and so vindicated in their words. Like they're so passionate about what they can do. Like these people are almost expert bloggers sometimes. Mm. Like I've read the rantings of people and like I think it's insane, but it's also genius at the same time. Yeah. You know, like their wordplay and their wordsmithing is incredible. It's funny you say that. The other day I was out with those puppies on the street and I have this all on film and I've I really, I debated for a long time whether I would include it in a video that I was going to put out. And I ended up choosing not to because I I want to, it's not fair to the guy that was in it. So there's this guy that lives around my neighborhood. You've seen him, James, right? With all the tats oh, yes, hilarious yes. face. Th- that night we were coming yeah. home and I justified my point. Yeah. Well, so the thing <laughs> is like, anyway. I, I know James pretty well. Yep. He's the local kind of, I guess a lot of people call him the local lunatic, but the truth is he's, you know, he's schizophrenic. He has a, a, like a heap of mental health issues going mm. on. Right. And I bumped into him in the street and I really enjoy his company. Like I really enjoy him. And I think it's one of the reasons I like living in the area that I do. It's very diverse. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> very diverse. Area. Yeah. And so like, this is a guy who gave my kid for Christmas. He came into the tattoo shop and gave Rip a heroin spoon for Christmas. Gave a five-year-old a heroin spoon. And, and- oh, that's handy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, so- he's got something to work up to. And so, but this is the thing. I'm like, oh, thanks, James. And, yeah. and, but, and you, you look at that and you go, what the fuck, right? Mm. But he says to me, he says, or he says to Jane, he goes, you know, you can use any spoon to heat up heroin, but this one was made for it. Like this is, and he explains how it all works. This is the little packer and this is how it all goes down. And these are really hard to get because, you know, they're not a thing that gets made very much. And of course you can use any spoon, but this is the one that was made for it. And when you think about it, it's like, obviously he might enjoy some heroin, but the, (laughs) (laughs) the thing is, 
that's a really nice thing to do. Now, it's outrageous from our standpoint, yep. right? But I was going to say, that's th- this conversation has probably triggered so many people already, but, but, but to but him, they've got to listen to this part. So then we're on the street and he walks past and he yells at me and we're talking and he's given me hot tips about what I should be doing with the dog, right? Mm. And I'm kind of like laughing with him and we're having a talk. And I think this is great for the dog. You know, it's exposure to a person yelling and screaming in the street. Mm. And he's telling me what I should be doing with the dog. And I'm kind of laughing with him and like, yeah, yeah, okay, sweet. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that on board. And off we go, right? But the thing is, he's severely got mental illness issues, right? Mm. But he's a lovely dude. I really enjoy his company. And I know him. I know him well. But if that was online, then I don't know anything about this guy. And he's throwing out these hot tips about what I should be doing with the dog. And people want to argue with that. And I'm like, no, because I know you. I know that you're just saying the random words that come into your head and mm. there was a dog in front of you and they include the dog, but that's because it's in real life with a person I really know. If that's online and we see this, we see people just saying outrageous things and now people want to get into this back and forth argument with them about it and maybe that's him just on the keyboard, mm. right? And so it's like, hey, like I'm not going to argue with you about that because that doesn't really make any sense. I'm not going to put any effort into worrying about that. I'm not going to... Like, I don't have to point out how foolish you are. I don't have to, like, drop my drop my big knowledge bomb words all over you and tell you that you've used the wrong language in dog tra- Like, I just don't need to do that yep. because it's just not it's not going to help anybody, yeah. right? Like, And now I'm pushing him into an argument or that person into an argument that just mm. doesn't need to happen. I can just be like, okay, thank you. The same way I said to him, I was like, oh, thanks, mate. Like, I'll take that on board, yep. right? So I didn't want to put that video up because I don't want to make fun of James. I really like him and I don't want it to be... I don't want people to look at it and go, look at this guy, because he, he has a look. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Um, and but- I, I think it's a caveat too, just on top of that, you and I have never made fun of mental health. No. And we've always been in support of people getting the best help that they need. Yeah, totally. And encouraging and- them to do so as well. But that's what I mean is like when you're arguing with people online, it's really possible that they have a lot going on that you're not aware that's of. That's right. Yeah, and, and don't and- judge a book by its cover. Yeah, and so that's and why- And that goes with same with us as well. You know, like just because we have certain beliefs or certain guidelines or certain thoughts or a direction that we're heading in, there's a lot more depth and direction to us than just what you're hearing on this podcast or just what you'll read in a small blog or something like that. Yeah. I just think we need to be more careful of that in the space that we're in, in dog Mm. training, because there are a lot of people that are dealing with mental health problems. And it's a trigger. Yeah, totally. Mm. uh, Totally. And their experiences lead them to feel a a certain way. And so that's why like, I'll happily have as many conversations with people as they want. But Mm. when people start, you know, acting irrationally and what worried me with that sort of initial Nando post, but there were some people acting irrationally, like saying things that were just irrational and untrue and made no sense. And then I saw people sort of coming to mine and yours defenses on things of it. And I was like, I totally appreciate that. I really, I do. I love it. But please don't antagonize those people because nothing good is going to come of this. You're only going to make them feel worse. Just let it be yesterday's news. It'll die its own miserable death in in a shorter time if they're left alone and we don't keep picking at that thread. Yeah, that's right. And Mm. that's right. It's only going to give them something to focus on that is unhealthy for them. But but thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Totally. And we do appreciate, you know, like- both of us are very fortunate to have a, like a large following of people that are genuinely interested in what we've got to say. I don't think you understand how much we do appreciate all you guys. It's you people who have made this podcast successful 
kept us going, encouraged us, bought programs that we've put on offer, supported us, supported the people that we know and appreciate in the industry as well. So there is nothing but love coming back to you. Yeah, totally. Mm. Whew. That's my little talk. It's a good talk. Interesting and thought-provoking because it, it really is a problem in the world, not just with us, but other people who are you know influencers or people who are putting themselves out there. And we had this we had this chat back in our forum as well when people weren't so confident to put things online. Like, you know, sometimes they would make a statement and then get completely beat up online and then never make another post again or never comment again because they were so afraid of the feedback or rhetoric that was going to be thrown around. We mentioned this a while ago and people have come back to me and said, thanks for you and Pat for, for talking about that because I was one of those people. And a few people that are close to us, a few friends of ours that supported us and are very endeared to us have come back and said, you know, I was one of those people. And I thought, wow, I didn't actually see that at the time. It's a terrible thing to do. But look, on another level, it's happened to me before where I put myself out there. I've allowed myself to be vulnerable and mention something and totally got annihilated. And I thought, fuck, maybe I should just keep my big mouth shut sometimes. Mm. But then I thought, well, I'm entitled to my opinion sometimes. And if I'm wrong, I don't mind being corrected. I don't think I should be scalded to a point where people are coming to our doors and threatening us or making outrageous statements against us. But I do appreciate it. Like if I've said something and I've lacked the integrity or I've lacked the science behind it and somebody has made a statement and said, hey, mate, I just think you need to fact check yourself there and they call you on your bullshit. It's not that they do it in a bad way or a negative way. You know, like I use the word echo chamber before. They just don't allow you to remain in your echo chamber by politely, politely pointing it out and giving you the right tools to find that your research might be flawed and that you need to investigate other things. Because I will state it right now, I am not the bastion of all knowledge, nor are you and nor is anybody that I've ever met. We have a depth of knowledge about certain areas, and in some areas we are professionals and others we're amateurs. And that's always nice to be included in conversations where if we don't know something or we've made a mistake in something, that somebody has presented us with more accurate information. And I appreciate that. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that because it adds to your knowledge and database and it helps your growth overall. To give an example, one of the NDTF students, Claire, who wrote that book on assistance dogs, mm -hmm. we were talking about assistance dog laws and so forth. And Claire said, look, I've got the accurate information because I actually have done complete study because I was so sick and tired of people getting this information wrong. See, I love that. I love the fact that somebody went out there and corrected the database and the knowledge bank and then did all that work and research and then also came back and said, but like I'm going to do a revised edition because the laws have changed and I want people to have the most updated information. Yeah, perfect. Fantastic. Yeah. How awesome is that? Having that most updated information, I think that's so important with everything, right? Mm. And so it's like it's that's that constant striving to move forward and whether that's you know, legal information, like what is the current standing of the law, which is why I remember when I did this occupational health and safety course, they were like, don't download this manual. Like mm. it's online. Don't download it because then that you think that's it, right? Yep. Like every time you need to reference it, come back to the website because that's the up-to-date version and, yep. and you could get left behind. And I feel like that's sort of important with dog training and, and everything that we do is sort of always being like, well, this is the info that I have currently. 
But if there's anything else, I'm, I'm open to it. And you need to remain open to it yep. instead of sort of going like, no, this is what I have and this is all that I need. Um, well, anybody who does awards and contracts, like you have to be on top of that all the time. Like every time I do a staff contract, I have to go onto the Fair Work website and check that what is concurrent with the day and time because, you know, like there might be an award change. And if you're starting to pay, it's the same thing with paying people. Yeah. If you're providing a wage and people come back and say, oh, that was outdated six months ago, then you have to back pay them for all that yeah. time because you were negligent in not keeping your information up to date. Yeah. So staying up to date, I think is super important. And it can be difficult because as I was saying, like when we're, you know, you train within a group of people, it can be difficult to stay up to date because you are in an echo chamber of sorts then because mm. what you're doing is effective or you wouldn't be doing it. And so if everybody's reasonably effective at it and you can, if you lose a piece of that information, someone else can give it to you and it can be really difficult then to remember, oh, we also need to be looking outwards and upwards, yep. right? So as you know, like I have been fairly successful in my training. I like the way that I train and that was, you know, based largely on the stuff that I got from Bart, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's how I thought of myself as like a Nipopo trainer guy, right? But then when I saw Ivan's offering his online course, I was like, well, that's the next step, right? Like that's me keeping an that's open mind, right? Yeah. Like that's the next bit because it's not like what I have and do, I think is very, very effective, mm. but it's super important to look and go, can anything be done differently? And if you find out that it can't, then that's, it's almost great. Like you kind of, you'd be pissed that you'd spent money that you didn't need to spend, but mm. you go, all right, well, at least that's some more confirmation that I'm on the right track and I can feel more confident in what I'm doing than I even did before. But then if you get some new information, you're like, oh, perfect, right? Yeah. Like now I find how this fits into my program and I don't need to dump my whole program. It's not like everything I did in the past was you wrong. It on. Yeah, yeah, it's a bolt-on. And that's what I think, like, I like to try as open as possible and listen to everybody no matter where they are in the spectrum because if you can add something to what I'm doing, I'm like, fuck yes. Like, mm. if, you, if you can increase the efficacy of my training, if you can increase the relationship I have with the dogs, if you can make me 1% better, I'm down. I'm 100% mm. down. But it's leaving yourself open to receive that kind of feedback, I think, is super important. It absolutely is. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting when I hear your personality type and how you agonize over things so much because you remind me of Narelle. Really? Mate, she just cannot rest unless she's got the most up-to-date information all the time. Like it literally hurts her body and soul if like she produces something and then she thinks, well, now it's out of date. Mm. You know, like straight away she's got her, um, like if she sells a program online or anything like that and it's outdated, she will immediately make sure that she has provided a paragraph of all the right information and then send it all out to all her people. Mm. She's just that fastidious about it. And while I'm there with my wife, I really want to give her a shout out. She did a, a seminar down in Canberra Oh yeah, for Eleni, down where they do their uh, GRC training. Mm -hmm. She did an outstanding job. Yeah. I was so proud of her. Public speaking is not her strong suit. Mm -hmm. She doesn't enjoy it, but her topic and her knowledge makes her carry her passion through. Mm -hmm. She's my wife and we criticize each other on a regular basis about <laughs> things. We, not in a nasty way, in a, in a loving way, but there was nothing that I could say that she could have done better. She was a, just a consummate professional. She, Her information is sound. She really wants people to have the most up-to-date information. She did a fantastic job. She carried herself really well. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. She knows the things that she needs to do better. Ladybug was an absolute pain in the ass. Let me tell you, I had, we had to take her cause she re-injured herself and, um, fuck me dad. She was a pain in the ass. <laughs> she was just 
puffing and panting and she was getting anxious about being in the environment she was in. So, yeah, she was a nightmare. Yeah, right. That's just because it was a new environment, right? Like she was a bit displaced. Well, for anybody who's new to the conversation, Ladybug, who's our French bulldog, she injured herself almost a year ago and lost the use of her hind legs. And it's been a very tumultuous journey. Narelle and I talked about it on her podcast about what it is. And I'm going to actually do a Patreon video for us on the canine paradigm showing what we've been doing with her and her journey. You know, like I I think we're going to do it for the year celebration. Mm -hmm. It's been a really tumultuous journey and she completely lost the use of her back legs. She had, she gave herself like a very bad compression in her spine jumping off furniture, which we always tried to, because people are probably thinking, well, why did you allow that to happen? They don't understand that Ladybug is one of those dogs that is too powerful for her body. Like Mm -hmm. her mind is way too drivey for her little body. And you can't stop a dog when you don't see everything that she does. Like she'll be aroused about things and she'll just explode into energy and go ricocheting around a room. So Yes, we tried to stop her. We, you know, like we punished her for it. But if you know anything about drive arousal, it overrides a lot of other things. So um, subsequently, she injured herself badly. Um, She lost the use of her back legs. And it's been an incredible journey of discovery for us because we have got her to the point where she can walk on her legs again. Mm -hmm. She can toilet herself. And all of this was information that we were told by the surgeon that she would never walk again. Or I should choose my words more carefully that it was highly unlikely that she would ever walk again and that she would constantly need to be manually toileted and so forth like that. So we would have to evacuate her bladder and possibly her bowel. But thankfully that's not happened. Like she can toilet herself. She'll go out and she can squat. She can defecate and everything like that. And Narelle's done an incredible job with her, but she was playing the other day and she re-injured herself and it was quite serious. So we got to the stage where we took her to the vet and the vet looked at her and looked at us and went, "Mm." and it was that kind of look like, I don't think this is good news. And Narelle and I were prepping all over again that, fuck, here we are again after all this effort and everything that we've done, that we're back here again. Yet Narelle rang up Neil Barnsley, who's our acupuncturist, Mm -hmm. and Neil said, don't do surgery because that's probably what they're going to recommend. Don't do surgery. Bring her straight into me. And let me look at it. And he said, I'm extremely confident that I can get her back on the straight and narrow. So he said, what I do want you to do first is because she'll be inflamed is he said, you'll need to get the vet to give her some anti-inflammatories. Mm-hmm. So Jane, our vet is, is great. And she agreed with, with everything that we were talking about. And she gave us some pain meds and some anti-inflammatories. And subsequently, which was quite encouraging, was Ladybug went from not using her legs at all during the re-injury to the next day, she could start propping herself back up again due to the inflammation coming down. And then um, we got her straight into Neil Barnsley. He started treating her and now she's back to where she was before. Perfect. The unfortunate side was we just couldn't leave her in the kennels to be monitored just because of the re-injury. So we t- we decided to take her with us. And poor Scott and Tennille, Scott Warden, Tennille Evans. You guys are staying with we, him? We stayed at their place and Bug was an absolute fucking nightmare (laughs) she was playing and running around the room and she wanted to play with her stuff during the night and she kept us awake on the night that Narelle's gonna do her presentation so poor Narelle I hardly slept at all because I thought I'll manage Ladybug while Narelle tries to get to sleep and um yeah she just wanted to fuck around she wanted to play she was full of energy we were staying above Scott and Tennille in like they've got an attic room up at the top I'm doing hands which people can't see But um, yeah, she was up there and she's tip tapping around in the room and subsequently keeping them awake as well. 
So, yeah, she was an absolute pain. Mm. So we were supposed to stay another night and I just said, Narelle, fuck it, let's pack up. And I said, I'm tired as fuck, but I'm going to load myself up with coffee and just drive back to Sydney. So we did a three and a half hour drive all the way back, got back late at night. And um, the next day I had to pack my car, jump in there and go and train the army. So that was a, that was quite an adventure. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you just did that week with the red team guys again? Yeah. That, yeah, that was good. So Q and Andrew Coe that were on the show, red team, I contracted back to them to do a week with homemade explosives. And we were out training the guys from the Australian Defence Force. They were great. I was really impressed with their level of aptitude, their off-lead capability with the dogs and the attitude of the boys in a unit was very impressive. It's good. I was telling you before, it started off a bit spicy because we had some difference of opinions at the start, but it was an incorrect way of approaching the learning platform because I think for me, what happened was it was assumed that they were at a level where they weren't, like they were at a pretty good level. Like their off-lead capabilities with their dogs is just brilliant. Mm -hmm. You know, like the guys are working really well together and talking about the subject matter of being in an echo chamber, one of the things that I feared that they might be, which can be when you're a, a closed knit unit is that you can be in an echo chamber of supporting each other through the mistakes you're making. And the one thing that I really, I was able to observe with them was anytime that they were making mistakes, they were calling each other on it. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things was when you investigate that further and sit down with people and ask them, why did that happen? Or why did you say this? Or how did you come to realize this? They, instead of becoming insular, and instead of just reinforcing bad habits with each other, what they're actually doing is they're researching, like they're using their time as a unit to research outward, like to look at what other people are doing around the world and to investigate better techniques and methodologies to pull it into their unit. And I was really impressed with the fact that when they were, like some of the guys have done your course, mm-hmm. some of the guys have been, you know, like they've traveled the world and worked with other units and have seen other capabilities and they're taking the best of what they can see and they're bringing it back and they're plugging it into their own, like pretty much what you said about, you know, like once you did Ivan's course, it was a bolt on that complemented what you already learned through Bart. I think that if you're not doing that, if anyone's not doing that, then it's a grave error in the training that you're learning yourself and then you're providing to other people. So I was really, as an Australian and, and watching fellow Australians, and I'm not making this a patriotic episode or anything like that, but watching my fellow Australians in the Defence Force that's defending us or, you know, like working to a capability, it was really fantastic to hear that that's what they're doing is that they're working beyond their capability to bring it back and to implement into their strategies. Mm. So if any of them are listening to this, good on you fellas. You did yourselves proud. It was a pleasure to work with them. Even though the first day was some spicy conversations entailed, after that it was great and I came away with a deep respect for a bunch of people who really earned it. That's cool. Mm. I don't know how related it is to dog training, if anybody's still listening or, or will make it through this, but I can speak to that mindset. It relates actually to the army stuff quite heavily where you're saying, like, I'm always looking outwards and upwards for what don't I know. Yeah. And it's a strong feeling of negative reinforcement that I get. And, you know, when I was in the army, I was at 2 Commando Regiment and it's like a special forces unit, right? And so 
the imprinting is different in different units and yep. different sort of capabilities. Like, and it's one of the things that even though I was never very army man, like it's one of the things that really gets driven into you. And it's very difficult to let go mm. is that there's no such thing as maintenance. Like we don't believe in maintenance. You're going forward or you're going backwards. Yep. There is no such thing as maintenance. And so there's this idea of constantly pushing forward in this constant evolution. Is that all through or is that more in the specialist? So that's the thing. So okay. there's really different mindsets. And this is like, I've looked into this historically and sort of where it came from. And if you look at, so like traditional, uh, like it's thousands of years old, these attitudes, right? And mm. that like constantly moving forward, constantly progressing is typical of special forces or specialist units, right? Mm. It's not so typical of regular army, right? Yeah. And when you look historically at the way the armies work, like you imagine the old sir, yes, sir kind of thing, right? And there's this, like the guy yells at you and you do what you're told. And there's that, like you're, you know, it's this constant threat of punishment and discipline and all this, right? Like it's this, you know, you live under that, you know, like the start of uh, full metal jacket is what everybody assumes that the army is like. Mm. And parts of the, certainly like in the Marine Corps, like in that movie, but in certain parts of other armies, it kind of is like that. And that historically goes back to when armies were not full-time armies. Yep. So there would be a you know an impending threat of uh, invading force or whatever, and reservists are calling in. Well, they would just call in all the farmers, right? And it's oh, like, like a militia. Yeah. So yeah. and you've mm. got a six-week period or whatever to train a militia. Now we're talking two thousand years ago, right? Mm. Mm. And what would happen was you have to indoctrinate those people fast. You have to get them into the position where they're going to go to battle, and most of them are going to die because they don't know what they're doing. And you need to get them to the point where you can tell them to do that. So there's an imprinting phase, exactly like we have with dogs, where you indoctrinate them into a conditioned responses to mm. being told what to do by some guy because he's got three stripes on his shoulder, right? Yep. Now, the other thing that is really important if you're going to train someone to go into battle like that is that you convince them that the training they're getting is better than the training of the guy that they'll fight. Yep. That is an imperative part of the military is that most people within the military, and this spills into police because a lot of police these days are certain para, like paramilitary sort of organizations, right? There's it, it a rank structure and all that, is that you indoctrinate people to believe that the training you have gotten is better than anybody else's. This is the best training. You are the most prepared. You yep. are the best. And you will do what you're told when you're told because we know better. And that is what will keep you alive. And the training you've gotten is the best. And that is the best chance at being successful when you have a short period of time to get someone into that indoctrination and get them out the door ready to fight. Mm. That has kind of lasted forever. That's kind of lasted for thousands of years into the military. But then if you look at professional armies of 2000 years ago and you look at say Spartans, right? Really different, like really different where you are brought into it willingly. Mm. And it's like, this is how we do things. And you and, are a soldier from conception. Yeah. Well, yep. and so, but it's, they're training to a really high level and yep. they are, they enjoy the combat and they, they look for it. And so yep. it's a very different process. It's a very different indoctrination process to the point where you would like, when you read historical accounts of it, Spartans used to turn up not naked, but not with their armor on and get dressed in on the battlefield in front of their enemies. Just a form of intimidation. Just so you can see how well I know my gear. Yeah. Just so you can see my gear fits me perfectly. It is mine. It was made for me. It's yep. not like you who were just issued that and you're mm. like, good luck. And there's your spear and your helmet. And it's the same as the other 6,000 of them. Mm. Spartans wanted you to see, this is mine. I know it. I use it every day. I want yep. you to see me put it on. I want you to see how proficient I am in using this. So it's a really different attitude. 
And what ends up happening with like that attitude has certainly carried over into a lot of special forces units. And so the idea is like, I have to be better. Right. And it's not the, the indoctrination is not, you are better. You will win. It's that you have to be, you yep. have to be working. And, and if there's the old saying, like the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in war yep. and like that kind of stuff. Right. So it's a different, it's a very different indoctrination, but indoctrination nonetheless, mm. Right? Mm. it happens to us. And so that's why for me, having been in a unit like that, it's like, you have to be better. You yep. can never stop, never stop that self-improvement. That's you why it's are, a bad idea to turn up at your door when they're angry at you on the internet. <laughs> well, but that, is, that period of my life is over, but that is not something I'm ever able to let go of. So in whatever I'm doing, mm. I have this overwhelming feeling. I of, heard you talking about this on Clubhouse the other day yeah. where you said it, it might not be a good mindset for it's other people. It's probably not. It, mm. It's probably quite unhealthy. And like yeah. I say, that's why I keep using the word indoctrination. This yeah. is not necessarily something that I encourage anybody to take on, but it is a overwhelming fear of stagnation. Mm. And so that's that constantly your enemy is improving. He's yep. training every day. You have to improve beyond what he is or you will lose in the fight, right? And so that is exactly something that- Isn't that exhausting always running from that though? Like Totally, but that's that's how- That's who you are. That's how indoctrination works. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't just turn that off. Yeah. And so- that's one of the things that when you look at, you can look at people and they're, when they're convinced this is, this is the right way and you can say, hey, man, like I get it. I, I understand that you were pushed into that. You mm. believe that. You were told that. But you've done a six-week course and you were taught that by a guy who did a six-week course and he was taught that by a guy that did a six-week course, right? And so may, and maybe it's not the best course. And so then when you look at SF units, they tend to go like, okay, we do our course, but we need to send someone on your course and we need to send someone on this other course and we need to embed someone with those guys so that he comes back and says, well, actually, this is how they're doing it now and they're achieving success. Or he comes back and says, they're doing it this way. It's stupid. That mm. Our way is better. But you always have to be looking outwards and upwards. And, and so like at my old unit, in every cell, in every sort of specialist area you can think of, there is a person whose job it is to just look outwards and upwards and be deployed somewhere else or be embedded with someone and come back and say, this is how they're doing it. It's good or bad, but we have to constantly be evolving. Whereas in other areas of defense, so this is not just Australia, this is armies worldwide everywhere, mm. is there is, no, we're doing it the best. And this is the best we can do for you. This is all we can provide within the scope and capability of our unit. So we have to make you think it's the best because we're going to put you against other people. And, you know, like confidence is half the battle in everything, right? Mm, mm. But it, it only works so much as when you're fighting people who are incredibly skilled. Yeah. Right? And so this is to somehow turn this around to dog training is that this is like, it relates a lot to that sort of Dunning-Kruger and that people can get into the idea of like, no, I know it. Absolutely. I, I absolutely know dog training and I'm a competent dog trainer. You go, yeah, you are. You are competent. You can do it, right? Yep. But there's more. Yep. And until you see more, you can't necessarily be convinced of it. Yep. And that's what happens in, in the military is that what ends up happening is the special forces units, it's what they call like trickle-down effect, right? Mm -hmm. So they're they've got the bigger budget. They're constantly being 
pushed out to find out other stuff, right? They implement it themselves, but then what happens is they have to push that down. So then you'll get an SF guy embedded with the regular army and his job is to try and be like, hey, this is how we're doing things now, right? Mm. So there's two different guys. There's one who's out the front grabbing new information and bringing it into the unit. Then there's another guy whose job is to push that information out of his unit into the other units to try and bring them forward. Mm. And if you as a dog trainer don't have someone to do that, it can be very easy to just be like, no, I have the best training. This is it. I've got the best. And maybe you do. It's totally possible you do, but maybe you don't, Mm. right? And so you don't know unless you go looking elsewhere, which is why I personally do it. And it's why I encourage other people go other places. And when when someone who I train with a lot, even if they're a client or whatever, and they're like, I'm going to go do a session with this dude. I'm like, sweet. Go do it. Totally. Mm. Like find out, is it better than this or not? Mm. And is there, can they offer 5% that I don't have? Or, you know, like or sometimes- do they just resonate better with you? Like do- Yeah. Do you listen to them easier? Do yeah. they talk better than me? And one of the things that I totally admit is that you can become complacent because- I've seen this problem. I've fixed it five times before using this technique. I'm going to do that one again. And maybe I don't investigate as heavily as I could. And maybe I miss like a one percenter that would change things. Mm. Right. And so a fresh set of eyes is great because they, they don't have the experiences that you have. It's not the exact same set of experiences and they can look at it and say like, oh, that's a different thing. You've missed this little detail because you were focused on you know, the dog is, you know, like in an outing problem. Let's just take that as an example, right? Like you're focused on what the dog is not doing, what he is doing. Mm. And that person might look at it and say, oh, he's still in defense. We haven't taught him to drive channel yet. So we shouldn't even bother. It's going to be a lot harder to teach a dog that's biting in defense to out than it will be to just teach him to drive channel. And if you can get him out of defense while he's still biting, then he's going to out a lot more easily, right? So let's not even work on the out. Let's teach him to drive channel. And that's something that I have had that advice from people before. Like, oh, you're just focusing on the wrong issues. And then you go like, oh, fuck, I know that. Like, I know that. I should have thought of that, but I didn't. And that's why having someone else's set of eyes on it is helpful. You go, oh, shit, Mm. I missed that. Thanks, man. Let's do that. You know? Yeah, if you can surround yourself with a group of peers and you're open to their suggestions, it's very empowering when you can actually add that to your repertoire. Yeah. It makes you not only a better trainer, but a better person because- you know, we're talking about the training concept because, you know, ultimately we do say that the Canine Paradigm is a dog training podcast, but it's also a people improving podcast. You know, like we're talking about as you grow in your knowledge about dog training, you're learning about behavior. Like you're learning a lot of things about yourself as well. Like mm-hmm. even though we're learning to communicate with dogs, ultimately we're teaching people how to become more open and more receptive to the pilgrimage of training. And I do call it a pilgrimage because it's something that very much like yourself, when I was mentored by Boyd, because Boyd was involved with the army, he would encourage us to do the same things, go out and learn from other people and then bring it back. Whatever you procure, this needs to be part of us because at the time for what we were doing, Australian dog training was the best it was the best provider of what we were doing at the time of the results that we were producing. Anytime that somebody was doing something better, we would go and take it from them. We would go and find out what they were doing. Like if it was a sport model, we'd go and bring it back. Now people might listen to this and say, Oh, that's not true. But my recollection of that was because I was one of the people who was traveling around and seeing what other people were doing. So There wasn't a lot of exposure to things. And I've admitted that wholeheartedly now than what we have now. Like what we have now is it is so diverse. 
the things that you see every, and I think you see this every decade that passes, like every decade that you're lucky to be in this industry, you see a shift in what is being provided and what is offered and what technology is now allowing us to understand. It's been overwhelming at times. It's been intimidating, but it's also been fucking exciting to be a part of a history where you did things a certain way, but then also realize there's a future in changing the landscape of what you know and what is now possible to understand that, yes, we haven't gone like massive quantum leaps, but incrementally we're still moving in a direction that is so exciting that we're learning more about how to activate regions of the dog's brains that we never really understood before. But not only activating a region of a dog's brain, but also activating a region of the handler's brain or the trainer's brain. And when I look back, people were a lot more guarded and a lot more resistant with conversations. And I think one of the greater things that I see now is even though there are still biases and so forth, people are more receptive. You know, they will drop their guard. And when they're proven wrong, Generally, I see people that were impervious to shifting will now consider shifting. Yeah. You know, like they will consider the the facts and think, "Mm, I can't deny what I'm seeing because we weren't seeing it so much. We were hearing about it or you would read about it more so when there wasn't the ability to, you know, have so much access to online content and so forth. You just didn't see what you can see now. And when you can see enough people changing it and you think, yeah, it's the evidence is there. You know, there is an overwhelming shift to seeing the pragmatic side of it. I can't deny that that can be done in training and and carrying on that line of thought would just be ignorant and stupid. Mm. So, you know, like I'm and that was, you know, like again going back to the the guys in the in the um course that we were doing, it was really fantastic for me to see how open they were to you know, new suggestions or new thoughts that they were willing, you know, because I mean, the job that they're doing, explosive detection is so fucking important, you know, and it's so bloody dangerous as well. Like so many lives are at risk that their training needs to be paramount at all times. Like they really need to be thinking, am I at the tip of the spear or am I suffering at the thought of being in a a closed echo chamber where we're all patting each other on the back. For me, like I said, the reinforcing part of it was they are receptive to to using those increments to change what they need to change to be better at what they need to be better at. And let me be inclusive of everybody. I can't be more happier for anybody that's in that mindset because they're reaching out to a point where they need to be and they're changing things that need to be changed for the improvement of everything holistically. So, Knowing the way that dog training has changed over the last 20 years, what do you think's the future? Hypothesize for me because I've got an idea of what I think is coming. I think we are going to get into a state where machine learning is really going to be implemented. I was curious about, I remember 30 years ago, I thought, wouldn't it be great when I started to see um, the implementation of the internet and so forth, I thought, wouldn't it be great if instead of listening to people in another language, you could listen to them and your computer will be able to translate everything they're saying. And that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like that was science fiction 30 years ago. It's now science fact. Like it can be done and it is done. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can take your phone to places and hold it over another language and it will instantly, trans- you know, Google Translate does mm-hmm. all that for you. So that was fiction 30 years ago. It's mm-hmm. now fact. So I think at some stage machine learning is going to come into a part where a a machine will be able to 
or a, an app or a device will be able to translate what the dog really wants. Mm. Um, and we will actually be able to communicate on a different level than what we are with animals. Mm. I think that's coming. I feel the same way along similar lines. Yep. It's actually something, again, on another Clubhouse conversation that it was having, and Matt was talking about this, and I agree, Matt Hubble was talking yep. about it, and I'm wholeheartedly, this is where I've been thinking for a long time, is that I think we're going to end up with some kind of biometric data that we get readbacks from the dog. Yep. And that would settle a lot, you know, what we're talking about at the start, like how does the dog really feel, feel about this? Mm. Well, we can measure that. We can measure that in people, right? So yep. like live while we're sitting here, you're wearing a whoop. Yep. I, I don't have mine on, but I've got I've got an Apple Watch on my other hand. It's yep. measuring everything. Absolutely. Yeah, it's taking data. It's measuring my heart rate, my heart rate variability, or all the measures of stress, all those sorts of things, it's all available to us. We can measure it and live get feedback on it. Yeah. What I would love to see is that on a dog where I can say, like, how does he really feel about this? And it will settle that conversation that we had at the start about yep. I'm open to being told my dog doesn't actually like this. In spite of everything that it looks like, mm. he doesn't actually like it. There'll be no interpretation based on a group of people standing around disagreeing with each other. Yeah. It will be science fact. We won't be arguing over body language. We'll be discussing the biometric data yep. that's coming back to the us. Emotional feedback, how yeah. the dog is actually feeling based on the yeah. outcome. I am curious about that though, though, right? Because that biometric outputs even have room for interpretation. Mm. So if I was sitting here and you were abusing me, you would see my heart rate increase. You'd see a lot of key markers of stress. Yep. But if I was mid-workout and I was going to get a PB and I was trying to break a record – I would have similar markers. This almost reminds me of the Rick and Morty episode where he puts the crystal in his head where yeah. um, every time he takes the wrong direction in life, he has to self-correct himself immediately because yeah. if he doesn't, he's going to be without the girl he loves and he's going to die some insane and hideous death. Yeah. And he's just like he's driving himself <laughs> insane yeah. because he's trying to keep himself on this corrective pathway of ending in, an, in a relationship as an old man with this woman. Yeah. yeah. It's an amazing show. Isn't it? Rick and Morty is an acquired taste, but it is also incredible the depth of yeah. what the creators get into that. If you can get past the silliness of it yep. and sort of appreciate the depth of it, it's oh. insanity. I didn't realize how dark it was until, I don't know if I should even talk about it, where they, yeah, it, it's no big deal, spoiler alert, where they go and unbury the dead version of oh, themselves oh. and accidentally disclose to the family that they're not who they've been pretending to be. They're and from, I was another, like, another, they're from dimension. another dimension and yeah. came in, killed themselves and took over the life of themselves in that dimension. And you just forget about that. Like it's no big deal. Yep. And it's like, oh, it's because we accidentally destroyed our dimension and we've had to come into this one. Like yep. it was, I was like, oh shit, this is really dark. Yep. Like this is not just silly humor. Like this is a really dark show. There is a var. There must be a va like either these people have been on a psychedelic trip that oh, yeah. they have unplugged regions of their brains that nobody else is accessing, or they are from another dimension yeah. themselves. Because yeah. this stuff is just like it's like the Leonardo DiCaprio movie Inception on drugs. Yeah. It is just crazy where this stuff goes. Yeah. Because every episode, like I come out of that like almost sweating, yeah. you know, after I'm watching it. It's like watching cops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially the episodes with Seal Team Rick. That's They're the best. Oh, Pickle Rick was one of my favorites. Yeah, that still. is the best episode. Yeah. The Pickle, Pickle Rick, Rick episode yeah. is the best episode. Yep. <laughs> That's probably a good place to wrap it up. Yeah. Now that we're talking about pickles. So a bit of a waffly episode. I think it was, if I'm honest, I feel like 
what we just did there was a little bit of a decompression from two weeks of being attacked on the internet and then having that episode come out about mm. arguing with avatars. And as I was driving out here, I was hoping the one thing that we could sort of convey, and I feel like we might have, is that while you shouldn't argue with an avatar for sure, it created conglomerate of a group of people. Yeah. It's something I try really hard not to do is sort of assign myself a character, right? And then defend that character when mm. like I and most other people are very fluid, right? Like with the right evidence, you can convince me of anything. And so I don't like to get too attached to anything. Yeah. And so that when you attack something that I do, I understand you're not attacking me, you're attacking that. And if you can prove to me that that's incorrect and that I shouldn't do it, then I can drop it and still be me. Yeah. Right? Like I don't have to, I am not, I am not a guy that uses prong collars, mm. right? Like I am not that, mm. right? That's not the core of who I am. I'm an effective dog trainer who reads the dog and wants what's best for it. And at the moment that includes using a prong collar, yep. right? And so if it turned out that that was wrong. If you could provide me some evidence that that was wrong, then I can drop that and I can still be me. I don't mm. have to, it's not an attack on me. It's an attack on a tool. Right. Yeah. And so, like I say, if you just don't attach yourself to the idea of being that, that's not who you are. Yeah. That's what you're doing. You can change what you're doing. Right. Like you, you don't have to change who you are. You mm. can change what you're doing. I'm smirking while I'm hearing you talking about this. Because I got into a conversation online with Furman where he said, don't use that fucking Fenton thing to cover up your C-bombs and so forth because it's stupid and nobody likes it. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, it's just you because you're a miserable grouch. And he goes, no, there's far more people than you think. And I thought, okay, put a survey out there. And, you know, like I think 10 people said it's shit and like 300 people now have said they still like it. And I know you and I have had conversations about this and there's far more people on it. But, you know, like if you're being lazy and not answering and there's more people that think it's shit, like, please, I'm not going to hate you. Or I'm just thinking if you like it and you're finding it's funny and it gives you a chuckle when you hear that and stuff like that, I'm going to use that shit. But if overwhelmingly people came back to me and said, no, nah, don't use it, it detracts from the show and it takes the- Like the music. Like the music? <laughs> Which, which we've already been through that one as well. Yeah, I think, you know, I agree. But what's been important on the same lines of it is I think that especially when friends, like, Jason, you can fuck off with not liking it because it was my idea to make it that. And so we're keeping yeah. it. But, and we both thought it was hysterical. It is hysterical. Yeah. Everyone loves it. Yeah. The best was that guy that- uh, Except 10 people. Yeah. Well, the, who was the guy that was like- you have it listed as explicit. What the hell are you saying behind there? <laughs> and figured out what we're actually beefing out. He's like, what could it be? It's um, the word. Fenton! Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But. Which is going to be Fentoned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you should say. Fenton! When you say Fenton and Fenton. Um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, in line with what we're saying it's important to me that you take corrective feedback. And mm. if people, when you don't take feedback well, then people would stop giving it to you and then yes. you just end up lost, right? Well, they just realize that you're argumentative and that you're defensive all the time. Yeah, well, so they just don't bother. Well, they become afraid of you. They, yeah. don't, they don't see you as being vulnerable and inclusive. They just think that here is a person that every time I attempt to try and help them, all they do is just go into battle with me. Yeah. And you lack inclusivity with those type of people. They just fade away. Yeah. When we had Ivan, on the show and I talked about how I'm banned from every dog sport in Australia. Yeah. I didn't realize it at the time, but I probably used language that implied that everybody within those sports was responsible for that and wanted it. And I certainly don't feel that way. And I did not mean to say it that way, 
But I had a couple of people from different organizations reach out and were like, hey, that felt like an attack on us and we're just okay. playing the yeah. game. And that, that's a, that's an important. Yeah. Amendment. I was like, oh, fuck, sorry. Like, I really don't mean it that way. And yep. I'm, I've got nothing against IGP and I've got nothing against Mondio. In fact, I love those. I want to play they're, them. They're an institution yeah. in dog sport. And you and I, I think, have reinforced explicitly over the term of the time that we've been doing this that we just want it all. Like, we understand the need for it to be individualized, but we want everybody to understand that we are small pockets of dog sport enthusiasts. And the most important thing is that we work well with each other. We come and combine resources. And if it comes time for a fight that we're all there together, instead of saying, no, fuck you and fuck you. Yeah. Because we're this flag and you're that flag and yeah. so forth. That's the important part that really, if you're not fighting for that, then you are part of a problem. Where I was going with that was that, it's really important. Like the two people that reached out, yep. I really appreciate them doing that yes. because had they not, I would have continued using the language that I was. You would have been in your own echo chamber. Well, I would have been misrepresenting how I felt. So the language I was using about that, which clearly was not my intention, was going to drive a wedge between me and the people who play those games yep. that I don't know. Yes. But the people who play those games that I do know reached out to me and said, hey, that felt like an attack on us. Mm. I know you and know you're not saying that about me, but people who don't could feel that way. Yep. So like, I'm lucky that I got that feedback. Otherwise, I would be offending and upsetting people that I don't mean to offend and upset, right? Thank you, anonymous dog sport people. Yeah, well, they're not anonymous. They're friends. They're close friends. But and they're so, anonymous to the podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so like, I appreciate that and we need it. We, mm. we do. I, yeah, we and need so feedback. you'll notice going forward that I will use different language about that. This is a people show. You know, even though it's you and me talking, it's still a community-based show that we're not just dictating terms. We're part of a great community of, of people that we really enjoy the company of. Yeah. We're trying to do the best to represent everybody. Mm. Just before we do close, another plug for Clubhouse. You came in briefly last night to test your equipment and I was having a conversation with a lady from the United States and she was talking about, you know, she's into rescue and she was an avid force-free trainer. Mm. And she said, I explicitly reminded people of what pieces of shit they were for using training tools like prong collars and remote trainers. She said, up until I had a rescue case, which she reached out to a trainer who's online. He's part of our community. Should we name him? Yeah, Ian King. Ian King. So she reached out to Ian King and Ian spent time educating her on the correct use. We're of assuming it. it's the same Ian King. Yeah, I think it is. But it seems like it. So she reached out to him and he spent time educating her on the use, the proper use and technique of fitting it and using it and, you know, like the incremental levels of using a remote trainer. And the wonderful thing was it completely transformed her perspective and she opened up to that. She said, I was an avid hater of these tools and would call people out for using them. She said, well, I've been served so many dishes of humble pie. And she said, I really need to express how sorry I am to those people and what a journey it's been to learn how important it is and how it's changed the landscape of my dog. She said the things that my dog could never do. And she said, and I would never have considered them without Ian's help and the use of those tools has really enlightened her to a different perspective. And I was really enjoying, it was a small group. It was only a small group of people. And I was really enjoying the conversation. And I said, kudos to you. Like that is the importance of growth. And I said, even though it's a shame for a lot of people that it takes so much desperation to get to that point rather than just sitting down in a room of learned people and saying, okay, well, I've got feelings about it. 
strong feelings, but I'd like to investigate it further. I'd like to listen to perspective and maybe I won't use them, but maybe I can shift where I am sitting at the moment and say, okay, I understand that there are professionals who use them much better and are changing the landscape and the livelihood of dogs and the owners who are suffering because it is there are people out there in the audience now who know what it is to suffer under the strain of having some of these dogs or rescuing some of these dogs. And when there are people out actually out there that are avidly saying to them, you cannot use these tools because you're a piece of shit if you do, or, or you know, like we're going to campaign against them. Please, folks, please, please, please just look into the research. Just go and train with an ethical trainer. You don't have to use them. None of us have ever said all dogs need to be using them across all spectrums. We've just said there is a time and a case where it may change the landscape of where your dog is sitting currently. And it's really nice to see when people have opened their mind and being receptive to that. Even outside of dogs, what's something that you've radically changed your mind on in the last 10 years away from dogs so that we don't trigger anyone in the dog world? I'd need to think on that. For me, yeah, it was conservation trophy hunting. Yeah, so I got sat down by someone. It was when that Cecil the lion, that dentist shot that Cecil the lion. Do you remember that? Oh yes. And everyone was outraged about it, including me. And I was like, "What kind of piece of shit wants to shoot a lion?" Yeah, right? like why? Yeah. And a friend of mine in that space sat me down and explained why and how important conservation trophy hunting is. Yeah. And I had no idea. Like I genuinely had no idea. And like I'm so anti-poaching and trophy hunting and all that kind of stuff that I nearly years ago took a job in Africa like hunting poachers a long time ago when they were recruiting for people, especially to like protect the last few rhinos. They had special forces teams protecting those rhinos, yep. right? Yeah. And there was awesome jobs available. There were jobs in Africa where they you were like getting paid per scalp for the poachers. Wow. Right? Like it, cause they were not fucking around, right? They're protecting these. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> Why not? Right. Mm-hmm. When I lived a different life. And then I had someone sit me down and go, well, actually this is the reality of the situation. And as I was listening to him, every word out of his mouth was like nails down a fucking chalkboard. Like it made me sick that he's like, look, the thing is there's people who really want to do that. And to the people locally, like those animals need a value, right? Like, and this is how it works. And he explained the whole system to me about how they pay an outrageous amount of money. And that money goes into the, the raising of others to facilitate what's happening uh, and he goes, without that, they'll just get hunted to extinction. Like it will happen and no amount of badasses over there attempting to protect them will keep them alive forever, mm. right? They are gone without it. And every word he fucking said was like nails down a chalkboard until I just had to sort of tune into that and be like, okay, I get it. Like I would never do it. I can't imagine the circumstances that leads to that, like why you need a lion's head on your wall as a trophy, like, unless you're going to go go hand to hand with a lion, then I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, if you you want to just get, like, a, a knife between your teeth and go out and fight the lion, cool. Put his fucking head on your wall, right? Like, you earn that shit. But, like, I've done plenty of shooting. Shooting stuff at 300 meters is not hard, mm. right? So that, for me, makes zero sense. Well, unless it's like Steve Rennell where he – he consumes everything. He yeah. Has. So that, but that's not, that's not conservation. That's, that's not, not trophy hunting, conservation, yeah. trophy, trophy yeah. hunting. Right. Yeah. And if you're going to eat it, that's a different thing. You got to yeah. eat animals. I get all that. But like endangered species is a whole nother kettle of fish. Right. Yeah. 
But when I had it explained to me, I was like, fuck, I don't like this at all, but I understand the mechanics behind it. I understand why I shouldn't be vocal against it. I understand that this is the situation that we're in. Mm. And it was hard. It was hard to confront. And I think that like, not that I'm comparing balance training to conservation trophy hunting. It's a different thing, but it was sitting down with that guy and having him like a, someone I trusted, right? Someone who knew about it a lot more than me mm. and was like, Hey, this is the reality of the situation. Like this is how it actually plays out. And this is why we allow it to happen. Yep. I was like, Oh man, that's hard to wrap my head around, but I get it. I don't, I don't like it, mm. but I understand why it should continue to happen. So now that I've had time to think about it and I've listened to your story, I think on a broad spectrum, the thing that I've changed more on, which it stems from what you're talking about, is I've learned to listen to the points rather than my feelings because I, I'm trying not to be led by my feelings so much and led by the evidence that's supported to me. So I think that's been a radical change for me is not to immediately get angered by something or involved in something until I've heard the evidence each way. Mm -hmm. And then I make informed decisions based on the best evidence. So mm -hmm. you've certainly helped me with things like that, where I've got angry about things. You've sat down with me and said, Hey mate, so you've got a point of view on this, but let me present you with the other side of it. And, you know, like I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with people that, I mean, I know we're talking about the subject being an echo chamber and you can be when you're in a group of friends who all say, yeah, fuck that guy. Let's all get stuck into him and hate on him. But when you're with learned people and patient people who have said, well, that's one way to feel, but let me present you with the other side of the argument, which you are completely oblivious to and you have no knowledge around. Mm. When I've sat down and looked at that, I've been less inclined to be led by feelings and more inclined to be led by the evidence and the best supporting evidence. And some people might say, yeah, but you're listening to a bias evidence. Well, I'm still hearing both sides of the story and then I get to choose where I'm going with that. So I can choose to be educated or I can choose to be ignorant. I think that's probably one of the highlights at that. And that's come with maturity and time and, you know, not being so impulsive. Mm. Good answer. All right, let's wrap it up. That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. Mm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. So I just put a new thing into Patreon. Mm, got already. some very good feedback. Yeah, already. Some, some comments on there. So people are enjoying that. That's good. Yep. And another cool way to support the show is to get into Teespring, get yourself some wall tapestries or yes. some T-shirts mm -hmm. or some headbands or some mugs and what else do we even have in there we've got everything we've got everything hoodies just merch yourself up yeah what i want and we need some sort of competition for this is the person who can a photo of yourself the most merched oh yeah that'd be good most merch most merched out like because yeah. do we have pants can they get pants I don't think we have pants, but we could add them if people Because I know really... Teespring have leggings. I know they have that because Jane got Valerie leggings. Yeah, um, you can get leggings. Most merch. We want to see who who can wear the most merch at one time. And what are we going to offer them? Love and respect. <laughs> <laughs> Admiration. Uh, a Facebook post showing our sincere love for them. Yep. I don't know. We'll find something. Something fun. Yeah. Dylan Anderson is least merched with his- He's got a tattoo. A, no. Oh, well, He's nothing. Most merched with the least amount of clothes he holds the record that for. That was fucking hysterical. Yeah. Nothing but a Cano Paradigm they, tattoo they, um, and a fanny pack. And then when they morphed your head onto his body. 
<laughs> I have to admit, I love it when people do funny yeah. shit like that. Who was it? Is it Jason Walker that swapped our, our faces, faces around? Like I'm looking at it, I'm going, what the? F- <laughs> what the-? I actually posted that in the comments. Like, I, like I've looked at it, I'm going, what the actual fuck? And then I've realized he swapped our faces. Oh, man. I yeah. love that shit. Yeah. That, that is I liked your comment too. That made me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if you want to get in contact with us, yep. best way to do that, if you want dog training advice and stuff like that, is to post it in the discussion group. That way you can group source information, especially if you want to know the dimensions of, of the box or if you're doing it right. The best way to do that is post it in the group, group source that information, mm. search in the group. There's heaps of content in there. Yep. If you want to get in touch with us about something to do with the show, uh, shoot us an email. We are info at the canine paradigm.com. Yep. And, and don't forget to like us on Instagram as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, all the stuff. Yep. Go to Instagram and like the page. Yep. The canine paradigm. Join the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Search me up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And soon, when we finish a bit of a setup in here, there'll be snippets, clips of the show going into live YouTube. Video. Well, not live video, yeah. recorded video. Yeah, but mm. it'll be like clips of the show going yep. into YouTube on the podcast YouTube. The Canine page. Paradigm page. So yep. search that as well. Search yep. me and subscribe to me yep. so that YouTube shows my stuff to more people. Yep. And do it with the Canine Paradigm. It's just called the Canine the Paradigm. The Canine Paradigm on yep. YouTube. So yep. do that on YouTube too. Yeah, there's a few things on there, but we're going to add to it. And buy me a Yeti dog bed. Goodbye.